Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Dr. Swinkowski, and I want to uh, welcome you to another episode of Ortho Joe. I've got my cup, you have yours, so uh, let's drink away. But let me just also say to you that um, you know, coming up with ideas week to week has been uh, really, really uh, quite fun for me on a personal note. And this time I've gone back to the archives of our ortho evidence files. But before I do that, I do want to remind our listeners that you can send in questions and comments to both of us, and we will address them. We'll address every one of them at orthojoe at jbjs.org. So once again, it's orthojoe at jbjs.org. So that let's get be, that can be comments about something we've said uh, that you would like further discussion on or you disagree with, or it could be a suggestion for a topic or an interview or uh, anything you'd like to bring up. We look forward to hearing from our listening audience. So I went back to the archives of one of our uh, ortho evidence insights on this one, Mark. This goes back to actually September of 2020. But at that time, we thought this issue was important, and uh, it's continued uh, to be one that's on the forefront of many university environments. And I suspect um, we'll have lots to talk about uh, as it relates to the publishing environment. This is the whole issue of equity in surgery. Uh, and that particular insight was labeled uh, being diverse and inclusive isn't enough. And let me start, if I could, with a uh, paraphrased quote from our vice, Pres uh, vice president of equity inclusion at McMaster, who writes, the first and foremost precondition is that we get beyond thinking and talking about the concept of EDI in terms of the nice thing to do when we are feeling charitable or in terms of compliance, the thing we are told we must do or facing some sort of perceived negative consequence. Instead, they argue that we should be thinking and trying to enact these EDI principles in terms of the right thing to do towards excellence to ensure creativity, innovation, competitive advantage and relevance. And the argument I think that's being made is that behavior motivated by compliance does not generate long lasting progress and cultural change. And I wonder just broadly to you, before we jump into some specific issues, Mark, when you think about the, the word um, getting to excellence and, and being diverse and inclusive as one of the key targets, how do you feel about that term? I mean, is that is that overcalling the reality of it or, or are we not doing enough? Oh, I don't I don't think uh, we're doing anywhere near enough, but I think we are headed in a positive trend in that regard. You know, living living in the Minneapolis area where the tragedy of George Floyd uh, has really ignited a worldwide discussion. It has been uh, heavy in our thoughts, uh, both at the university and medical school level and um, it has, I think, caused a profound depth of, uh, of personal reflection as to each individual, what role do we play uh, in uh, creating a more equitable uh, circumstance. So I, I, I think we're on a positive trend, but there's lot, lots of work to do. 
The one thing I would say is maybe just um, we're all on the same page here. Let me start with a couple of basic definitions. Now, these may vary from individual to individual, but when we think about the term diversity, I always think of diversity as signaling optics. So what is we're seeing, right? What is the, what's the mix of people we are seeing in a particular environment? And inclusivity is being, okay, how do we ensure that these individuals uh, in many ways feel welcomed uh, and that have a sense of belonging and equality of opportunity? The word equity though, to me is something different. It's kind of the idea that when everybody in a community or an environment in an office space, whatever that may be, or an institution um, have access to the same opportunities despite having individual differences. So when you think of the concept of diversity, inclusion and equity, how, how can we be moving forward? And maybe we speak specifically to publishing because there's lots and lots of discussion around um, how do we get more inclusive in how we write papers, how we review papers, who's on editorial boards, and quite frankly, at the simplest level, uh, how we're uh, helping promote uh, a diverse population towards getting uh, access to be able to publish in, you know, in the top medical journals and top surgical journals? Well, uh, Mo, you, you know, when you propose that we talk about this topic, you sent a copy of uh, one of your um, uh, OE Insights Right. That uh, you alluded to earlier, and in it, there's this uh, this uh, uh, advocate. Uh, oh, the acronym. Yes, right. Acronym, which I think is incredibly helpful. So when we're talking about uh, equity and opportunity in publishing or whatever, it starts with assess. That's your A word there. Right. So, right. Um, and and that's uh, needs to be purposeful. It can't be somebody uh, a board of trustees uh, telling telling me that we need to assess where we are that has to be self-motivated and 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 uh, and honest um, and we have we have done that and I, I know you and your organizations at Mac and uh, at OE have, have done that as well so we can see that there's work to do uh, and uh, we have uh, we have a I hate to keep going to sports analogies, uh, you know, since we're orthopedic publications, we kind of get labeled as old, old jocks that <laughs> they can only think of things in a sports <laughs> reference, but you know, you can't, you can't win in a, in a sport, uh, a team sporting event without a diverse group of talents. Um, there is no way that you can win a football game with an only an offensive lineman. You know, they just, they don't have the skill set to, to work and to be successful as a, scholarly organization that strives to publish the best evidence in our field, that requires a diverse group of authors and editors and reviewers. Uh, and, you know, as I uh, have gone through the at times painful introspection that uh, assess uh, demands, uh, we, we do have a work to go, work to do. And, you know, it, it, it really, falls upon us who are in the overrepresented minority to do the work. I think we've all too often relied on uh, people of color or, or women in our field, whatever, to, to do the work to fix things and or make it better, not, not fix them, but in, continue to improve. And, and I think it really it comes upon the, over, the overrepresented group to do the assessment and, and, and move forward so we can, we can create uh, more balanced uh, teams. 
and that that's the way we're we're approaching it at the journal. A long way to go, but uh, we, we we are on I believe a, a correct correct trajectory. You know, um, not not to belabor your sports analogy, but the one thing that when you were speaking Thank to this you. issue was I've always re remembered the idea of. A superstar can win a game, but teams will win championships. And actually, the more diverse a team, the more likely you are uh, to be able to do that. And I also remember sort of this rule of sevens that had come up, um, which had basically said that if you take a group, um, sort of an, an average group, um, in this case, the, the reference standard was a group of men making decisions, uh, and you add gender diversity into that. Well, when you add gender diversity, you improve the decision-making capacity by 7%. When you add now um, a, a differing geography or ethnicities into that, you add another 7% improvement in the way we can make decisions because it's just a wider perspective. And finally, uh, when you think about uh, age and abilities, you add yet another perspective. And so you can continually multiply your ability to make decisions because you're not as siloed um, as you might be in your thinking. So I do think to your point that the idea of the acronym of advocate gets to the point, right? You start with yourself yeah. and then you say to yourself, what's happening around me and how can I then create a movement within my own office space or my own institution so we can either have some, just make people aware of policies and get other people involved. I mean, that's ultimately the, you know, sort of the principal you know, goal behind uh, moving in that direction. But if I could, let me just speak to a very specific issue, a specific issue that's been, uh, I mean, published a lot. And by no means am I saying this is the only issue we should be focusing on, but it's certainly one of, one of the ones that have a uh, considerable degree of interest and focus in orthopedics in particular, the orthopedic gender graph. And I went back actually to a, a paper that uh, I was involved with uh, in 2012, uh, this was published some years ago uh, in the, I believe, the American Journal of Orthopedics, uh, I think it was eight or nine years ago. And what we had done at that time, we had looked at orthopedic research from 1970 to 2007, and we compared, you know, just looking at uh, gender and look specifically at, at uh, men and women in terms of their first author rates. And what we found was the following. Over that period of time, uh, men accounted for 93.5% of first authors in orthopedics, and you can see the, uh, the opposite was that women were about 6.5%. In comparing to other um, subspecialties like pediatrics, obstetrics and gynecology, internal medicine, and even general surgery, orthopedics was at that time in 2007 lagging behind. Uh, numbers anywhere from 16.7% first author women in general surgery all the way up to about 40% in pediatrics. Now, subsequent to that, um, there's been studies done. This is by Catherine Hiller, um, published in July of 2020, basically saying the following, uh, that when you look at 2006 to 2017, uh, all the way up to 2017, we've jumped up to 17% of women being first authors. And this was looking at um, JBGS, which was 14%. Uh, clinical orthopedics and related research, which was 12%, and the American Journal of uh, Sports Medicine, again, was 12%. So there has been this increase. Right, trajectory, as I said before. Right, right, right. And and um, more recently, uh, in the February issue of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, uh, I was interested to see also that there's been a, quite a bit of discussion around the issue of gender disparities as it relates to financial relationships between industry and orthopedic surgeons, also suggesting that you know the ability to fund and promote 
uh, female orthopedic surgeons, uh, or the lack of funding in that case has also had potentially some impact on, you know, the ability to uh, progress in the field. So there seems to be a lot, a lot of discussion on gender, uh, particularly, but I wonder if you could speak to that issue. Um, and also, broadly, um, how do we expand that to include, you know, all of the other important groups that we want to ensure that we have, you know, uh, a more diverse uh, approach to publishing. Right. Well, it, it, it's, you know, after the assessment, it, it come, it becomes, uh, uh, dependent upon those who are overrepresented to, to deal with an action. And I come from a background of, uh, interest in this uh, topic. Uh, my predecessor here at the university of Minnesota, uh, Roby Thompson really was, uh, one of the early people to push bringing more women into our field. And, uh, I, was fortunate enough to be chair of this department for 10 years and continued to push that and we do we do to this day we've uh, we've graduated well over 100 plus uh women in in our residency and roughly 30 percent at any one given time are women a, a, a you know a, a reasonable progress but there's still much to do and again it be, it's become an incumbent upon the the dominant uh overrepresented group to develop purposeful action. And you can't do that unless it's intentional. And you can't do that uh, if it's an edict by some external power, it has to come from internal motivation. And, but I would argue that uh, we, we've made some progress there, but we've, we've got uh, a bigger gap uh, in, in trying to bring more people of color in, into our field. I, I was having a conversation with my, uh, my colleague Joel Boyd, uh, who's an uh, African American uh, member of our faculty, happens to be the only uh, Black uh, NHL uh, physician, um, and uh, Joel's a great friend. But he he says he's got the conversation went something like, "Well, you know, we're up to seven percent of women in our field, but you know, when you're talking about people of color in North Peaks, we're at one point six percent. I would love to get to six percent. So I think." You know, we need attention on both issues, but if I had to say what needs more attention at this time, I think it's, it's, it's dealing with the, 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 the gap in individuals of color uh, in, in our field and creating opportunities there, uh, all, all the way from helping people uh, who are in academics, who are people of color, to uh, obtain higher profiles, greater opportunities, which uh, we can help with in scholarly publishing. Uh, on up to people who are making selections for traveling fellowships, pe people who have the options of, of bringing people along to aid in their careers so that more uh, students can see that there are medical students of color and more medical students of color can see that there are orthopedic surgeons of color and on and on and on. But again, it starts by those of us who are overrepresented in taking action. And I think you're absolutely right in that case. You know, if I if I if I changed a little bit of the topic, and um, with you know, with the analogy that when we talk about some of the work that's happened in orthopedics um, in advocacy around violence against women, uh, in directly interacting uh, with with numerous victims, of, you know, and also agencies, they said, you know, the men have to be at the forefront of this in this particular case. Now, I, I realize you, you're not we're not we're not talking a direct correlation, but I do think the argument is such that 
you have to be, you have to lead. And I think, I think people have to see all of us uh, leading. It's very difficult for the underrepresented in research and medicine and these uh, from underrepresented groups to say that, well, you know, we alone can make this happen because they alone don't have the power to make it happen. So um, on that note though, broadly, let's say at JBJS, and I, I can speak to ortho evidence, what are there, are there things that we can be doing uh, directly to promote? So, you know, obviously at a small level, we can be promoting the, the you know, the quality work that we're seeing of uh, authors and scientists that, you know, are, are, are representative of, you know, uh, racialized communities and representative of, uh, of, of, of female gender. Uh, you know, we can, we can do all of those issues. Um, I feel though that that is optics to some degree, and I feel that we should be even uh, doing more. And I wonder, I know you've thought deeply about this, what more should we be doing, Mark? Well, I think we can be purposeful. Um, and uh, again, assessing where we are, uh, trying to identify individuals uh, of uh, color or uh, in the female uh, sex that, that uh, could use opportunities to help build their academic profile so that they can serve as mentors to broader groups. Um, it, all starts, it all starts with an evaluation and then purposefully developing programs. And I, we, we are doing things, but I, one of the things I really don't like is that for organizations that have power and are, as you alluded to earlier in the conversation, doing the right thing, we don't, we don't deserve special credit for this. This is not something that uh, you know we should be putting uh, on on banners on the front of journals. You know, look at what we're doing. That that's not that's not the right way to go. The right way to go is to just shut up and do the right thing. Uh, and it should be behind the scenes, uh, and it it should be uh, uh, purposeful and uh, with the right trajectory and. Um, then just sit back and, and watch things slowly improve. That, that, that's my perspective on it. I, I don't like to see people saying, look what we're doing. Um, just do the right thing and shut up. You know, that's, that's... <laughs> yeah, I do like that. I do like that, 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 that clarity of thought there, because at the end of the day, um, I think we have too many times where we, I, I use the term virtue signal, right? Like, you know, virtue signaling is such that, you know, by me showing you what I'm doing, um, you should be thankful to me because I'm the one doing something. And I think it's much more about uh, making it part of every single day and making it part of, uh, you know, just sort of the, the innate culture. So if I can end um, on this, I will go back to uh, the statement advocate. And I think that's an important one. And I'll walk through just the five quick steps here that at least things you can reflect on, um, that it reminds me to do it every time I look at this. And I, sus I suspect that if we all take a moment each day to pause and think how we can be contributing uh, in a positive way, it will help us. So the first is assessing your role in perpetuating systemic bias. Sounds like a lot of uh, word jargon, but the fundamental is, is how do I contribute? Look, what do I think on a daily basis? How can I be looking at the way I interact uh, with, uh, with others? Define your new role, right? Define your new role in breaking down these sorts of biases, whatever you may have. Think about um, how others might be feeling and thinking about how you can be looking to change rally the voices of others, which is pretty important, right? If that's, and that the goal here is learn as much as you can, be open and discuss it. Uh, don't hide behind uh, others. Start getting uh, involved to the extent that you can. It sounds 
hard to do, but in fact, when you think about it, you can create a movement. A movement starts with one person, you, uh, and I think you can move forward on that, Mark. And then be aware of what's happening in your own uh, environment, in your office. If your office doesn't have a uh, policy, maybe you can be the one to, you know, to start it or think about it or to, or to read and, and bring it into your uh, institution. And finally, Think broadly about equity in the workplace because nothing, individuals who work towards change, that's superb. A group that works towards change, that's superb. But the institution at its core has to develop policies that make it easy for everyone to succeed. And I think I'll end on this point, which is when everybody participates, everybody wins. And, and I think better, it's. We have a better team. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I would encourage I would encourage all of our uh, listeners to take a look at some of the work that's been done uh, to continue to reflect on this work um, and remember that um, this is not an act it's a process and for all of us you know we're learning every single day and we're uh, participating actively as much as we can within our our own uh, uh, lives so I urge you all to do so and I also urge you if you have comments questions. Uh, or any ideas for us to uh, send us a note at orthojo at jbjs.org. On that note, Mark, I want to thank you again for uh, another uh, morning discussion and a cup of coffee. Thanks well, I so appreciate much. it, Mo. Not that I have to have the last word, but I, I would just say that it's most important for individuals, all of us, to look what we can do. The policies aren't going to change things. Individuals are going to change things. Policies are good get people to think about it, but it's all about what can we as individuals do? And sorry for taking that. Oh, no, listen, I, I, listen, if, uh, that's the whole point of this, right? Is to make sure that we actually uh, uh, get something. So yeah, appreciate all the, all the insight and look forward to chatting again in a couple of weeks. Great discussion. And I need to finish my coffee. <laughs> Me too. Cheers. Bye. Bye.